Thank you, choir. Uh, They have uh, whet our appetites for our conversation this morning. Uh, We started last Sunday and then continued on Thursday night a conversation about heaven. And we have asked you for last week and this week uh, to use a little card that we put inside your bulletin to write down any questions that you may have had for a long time or maybe questions that have been generated over our conversations for the last few weeks We're going to be producing a special podcast that will be on our website. We'll send it out on our electronic newsletter as well and try to answer as many of those questions as we can or as can be answered uh, this coming week. So you can look for that, and we appreciate being able to enter into that conversation with you. One of the images in the Bible that talks so often about heaven is the image or the metaphor of a wedding is used really from the very beginning in Genesis all the way to the very conclusion of your Bible that seems to be one of those pictures that the biblical writers through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit use to help us understand something about what heaven will be like. We see it, if you look back at Genesis and you see that Adam uh, was created in the image of God and then Eve was created in God's image and the scripture says God created them both in his image. And yet, how many of you would agree that men and women are different? There's a lot of, yes, amen. Very different. Then he said, the two shall come together and be what? One. There'll be one flesh. The idea here is that there was something in that union that more completely captured the image of God. Not wholly, but, but it certainly gave a better image of who God is. And so you see that picked up in the book of Ephesians. When Paul is writing about husbands and wives, and he's trying to help husbands and wives know how to get along and how to live together. And some of you are saying, what was that passage again? I need to write that down. Ephesians 5, and he's giving us, and he's talking about husbands and wives and husbands and wives. And then all of a sudden, he says, this is a mystery to which every man says, amen. It is a mystery. But he says, I'm not talking about husbands and wives. I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, from the beginning of time, God anticipated that this union of man and woman in marriage was somehow to be reflective of what God's plan for humanity was. This idea of union, God's union with us, that we would be together with him forever. Throughout the Old Testament, in books like Isaiah... Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, you see this image of God as the bridegroom and his people as the bride, and it's a rough marriage, let me tell you. There's all kinds of problems, and there's all kinds of infidelity on the part of God's people, but this image comes up over and over again, and in the very last pages of your Bible, we come to the culminating image, is that of a wedding feast, where Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride and God is once again with his people forever and everything is made right and everything is made new. I think this is an important image for us to consider. Whenever we talk about heaven or what comes next or what are God's plans, you can't escape the image of a wedding and Jesus uses it often. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 will be in verses 1 through 4 of John 14. And if you're one of those folks who who measure the quality of a sermon based on the number of scripture references, you're going to love this message. 
And if you're one of those people who don't like to flip in your Bible, we will have all of the verses on the screen, and you can take notes on the back to try to keep up. But we're going to cover quite a few passages of Scripture this morning as we try to get a picture of what heaven is like using the image of the wedding. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, if you have been in church any length of time, uh, you've probably heard this, these verses before or something that sounds like it. It's, it's a very familiar passage. And there are some obvious implications that we can take away from this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's trying to prepare them for their separation. He wants them to know that I'm going away. You see, their expectation was that Jesus was here. He was going to call down his legion of armies from heaven. And they were going to kick out the bad guys from Israel and he was going to be established as king. But Jesus is trying to prepare them to say, this is not going to be the way you think it is. That I am going to leave you. But he says, but I don't want you to worry about it. I don't want you to become anxious about it. Know that it's coming. I want you to trust me. The way you trust your father who is in heaven, I want you to trust me that way. See, he had been with them for three years and they still weren't getting it. They still weren't catching on to the idea as Jesus is saying to them, I and the Father, we are one. Fellas, if you trust God, then you should trust me because we're one. We're together. So trust me about this. He wants them to know that. He also tells them that there's plenty of room in this place that he's going to prepare. Did you catch that? He says, I'm preparing a place for you and I will come and get you that you can be with me where I am. There's plenty of room here. Don't worry. The disciples to this point had been sort of pressing in on each other. Who's going to sit on Jesus' right? Who's going to sit on his left? Because that sort of fits the economy of our world. Jesus is saying to them, there's plenty of room. There's plenty of room. I'm coming back and I'm going to get you to be where I am. And finally, Jesus wants them to know, I have to leave because I am the one who is preparing this place for you. I am making a way for you and I'm going to come and get you to be where I am. That's why he says a a verse later in verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the end of verse 6 is one of those verses that a lot of people wish it, they wish it just weren't in the Bible. That it's okay to say, for Jesus to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But when he says, when he adds on to that phrase, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's making a very exclusive claim. He's saying, you're not going to get there through Muhammad. You're not going to get there through Buddha. You're not going to get there through Oprah Winfrey, no matter what she tells you. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes through me. And so people have criticized Christianity and said, well, see, this is what I don't like about Christians, is they think that they're the only ones going to heaven. And I say, no, we don't think we're the only ones going to heaven. Actually, I'm pretty sure some of them aren't going to heaven. But that's not what it's about. Jesus is the exclusive way to heaven, but his invitation is universal. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. See, there's a distinction That for everyone, regardless of their race, their culture, their background, how much money they have, everyone has the opportunity to respond to the invitation that Jesus extends. 
So when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it is Jesus who's the exclusive way. And his invitation is extended out beyond that. But there's a deeper implication here. There's something about this passage that our 21st century ears may miss. And I think it's important for us to understand that this, the implication of this is Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm preparing to come and I'm going to get you. That you are going to be with you. We're going to be together. We are going to be one. And there's this image of, of a wedding. It, the, his, his disciples would have known when he was talking about this that he was speaking about the wedding customs of their day. Let me just share with you what those wedding customs were because they're very different from our weddings today. Uh, so in, in this day, Jesus' uh, day, when there was a wedding, uh, uh, probably an arranged marriage, which by the way, I'm just telling you, I'm for that. I have four kids, three daughters, and I've changed my opinion from the time I was 18, 19, 20. I was very much against it then. I'm very much for arranged marriages today. So just say that. So this arranged marriage, and they would have, the, the, the fathers would have arranged the marriage, and so there would have been what they would have called a betrothal ceremony. And in this betrothal ceremony, it would have been similar to our wedding ceremony. All, everybody would have come. Uh, the, the, uh, the rabbi would have been there to perform the ceremony, and they would have been acknowledged, this, this, this young man and this young woman, they would have been acknowledged as betrothed, even referred to as husband and wife, but they weren't quite yet. You see, the, the groom had a responsibility. After the betrothal ceremony, the groom was responsible to go back to his dad's house. And when he got to his dad's house, he had to start construction on an addition to the house. That would be where he would bring his future wife to live. So he had to go back and add on to the house to build a place for his wife to live. He had to prepare a place for her. He didn't know when the house would be ready. There was no way for him to know because it was the father's responsibility to tell the son when the room was ready and it was completed to the father's satisfaction. And at whatever point the father said, son, the room is ready, do you think that the groom sent a message and said, okay, I'll come and get you in a week? No. He would leave the minute his father said, okay, son, the room is ready, go get your bride. He would immediately leave to go get his bride. And as he was traveling from his house to her house, the village, the rumor, the noise about what was happening would begin to go around. And so there would be a party that would follow him. And the bride, on the other hand, had no idea when he was coming. She did not know. She had to stay in a state of readiness, anticipating the fact that her bridegroom could come at any moment of any day at any time. And so you see this custom was so different. This is why when you read in the Gospels the, the story of the birth of Jesus, and it refers to, uh, to Mary and Joseph as married, and yet they hadn't been together. It's because the, the annunciation of Jesus' birth happened in between. It happened after the betrothal ceremony between Mary and Joseph, and yet before Joseph was completed building the room, then he was allowed to go back and get, get his wife to be married. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he tells them this. They heard this different than we hear it. So let me read it to you again, and just listen to it with that in mind. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back 
and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way and the place where I am going. Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom. You're the bride. I'm going to prepare a place, and I promise I'm coming back to get you to be with me. But even the Son, Jesus said in another place, even the Son doesn't know when that will be. Only the Father knows. I don't know if you've thought about this, and maybe, maybe you're not somebody who thinks much about heaven or thinks much about the return of Jesus. Um, if you don't, I'm pretty sure there will come a time in your life where you will get to the moment where you say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? Some, some of you may have already been there. You may be there now. Jesus, just come on and take me. I'm ready. But have you ever considered the fact that Jesus in heaven may be anticipating and as excited about his return as you are anxious for him to come? That, that, that as he is in heaven with his Father preparing a place, that he's just as ready to come and get you as you are ready for him to come and get you? The anticipation that Jesus says the bride has, the bridegroom also has. This is why Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's the bridegroom coming to get his bride. There's one bridegroom. What is Jesus preparing? Well, Jesus is preparing a few things. The first thing he says in this passage is he's preparing a room or a place. He's preparing a, a room for you. Have you ever been left out? Has there ever been an oper- a place where there was just no room for you? Maybe it was something as simple as a trip you were taking and uh, the, 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 all the spots were filled before you were able to, to register or had the money to register and there was no room left for you on the, on the trip. Maybe you were flying somewhere and the plane was full. Maybe it was back in grade school and the teams were all being selected and you were the odd, uh, odd person out and so you were left off the team. Maybe you grew up in a, in a large, large family in a small house and uh, you were the one who slept in the dresser drawer. Uh, maybe, maybe for you it was a relationship that you had and at some point the person that you loved and committed to spend the rest of your life with came back and said, I don't have room for you anymore, there's somebody else. Have you ever been left out? Have you ever been excluded? Have you ever found yourself in, in a place where there was no longer any room for you? Jesus says there's room for you in heaven. There's room for you. You may be excluded here. He's making a place there. There's room for you. The other thing he's he's planning is a return. A return. That Jesus Christ's return is more than a fairy tale or a fable or a distant hope that some Christians have. We believe that it's real. And that even though Jesus' first arrival on this planet may have largely gone unnoticed other than for a few shepherds and maybe some magi from the, from the east who recognized a change in the stars. Most people on the planet didn't know that Jesus had been born. The Bible's very clear that when he comes again, no one will be able to deny it. That at a shout, at the sound of the trumpet, Jesus Christ will come back. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will be undeniable. And he's planning his return. He's planning a room, he's planning a return, and he's planning a reunion. When's the last time you went to a reunion? Maybe it was a class reunion or a family reunion. I've, I've about decided reunions never live up to your expectations, do they? I mean, you go to a family reunion and Uncle Albert's already drunk before you get there. I mean, maybe not in your family, I'm just talking about mine, just being honest. 
I mean, you, you go to family reunions and you have these hopes, don't you? You have these, these expectations that, that you'll be able to reconnect with people that you haven't seen in a long time and, and you're going to be able to engage with them in, in conversations. There may be words exchanged that you'd been wanting to say to somebody and hadn't had the chance to. There are all these expectations that we have when it comes to reunions. And so often in this world we're disappointed. You need to know that you will not be disappointed in the reunion that is to come. That Jesus says he will come back and that God himself will wipe away every tear from the eyes. There will be no more weeping or crying. There will be no more sickness and death. Everything will be made right. Everything will be restored and renewed in this reunion. And it's not just a reunion with the loved ones who've gone on before you. As good as that is, even better is the fact that we will finally and ultimately be reunited with our maker and our creator and our savior. And we will be made whole. Whole in a way that we could never be made whole here. And Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I'm going to return to get you to be where I am. That you will come and be with me there. There will be a reunion. This is what Jesus is doing. And so the question is, then what should we be doing? If we, the church, are the bride, how do we prepare? Basically, Jesus over and over again in the Gospels simply says, be ready. Because you don't know when the bridegroom is coming. Two images that he uses, two parables uh, that he really draws us out, uh, Matthew chapter 25 and Matthew chapter 22. You can write it down and read the entire parable later, Matthew chapter 25 and 22, verses 1 through 13 in both stories. But the first one in Matthew 25 is the story of some bridesmaids. And in this story, Jesus tells that the groom is not there, they're anticipating the groom to come. There's rumor, rumors have been percolating that the room is almost ready, that the father is just about to give him permission. So the bridesmaids are all with the bride. There's anticipation that it could happen. There are five bridesmaids who brought extra oil for the lamps because the bridegroom may be coming in the middle of the night even because he's not going to wait for daybreak. He's going to get his bride the minute his dad gives him the okay. So five of them brought extra oil. Five of them didn't bring any extra oil. The five who didn't bring the extra oil run out. And so they have to leave to go get additional oil. And guess when the bridegroom shows up? He shows up when they leave. And they're left out of the wedding celebration. Why? Because they weren't ready. And listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 25, 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Have you thought much this week about the fact Jesus may be putting the final coat of paint on the room? That the father may be just about to tell him, it's ready, son. Go. Now, there are a couple ways you can look at that. One, I believe Jesus will return and take us all home. But we also aren't guaranteed another day of life, are we? Your home going may be before mine. Mine may be before yours. And Jesus says, much like those bridesmaids, be ready Be prepared. Live with the expectation and the anticipation that it could be at any moment. The other parable Jesus tells that uses a wedding as an an example is Matthew chapter 22, also verse 1 through 13. This is the story of a king who's preparing to throw a banquet for his son who is going to be married. And he sends out all of these invitations all over town, but the guests 
who were invited were too busy to come. Listen to what he says in verse 5 of chapter 22. But they, the guests, paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. I think that verse describes a lot of us. I know it describes me a lot of times. I just go about my business because I got stuff to do. I got work to do. And I don't want to be accused of being so heavenly minded I'm no earthly good. And so I'm going to engage in the activity. But here's what I think we need to know as Christians. In get, thinking about and anticipating Christ's return informs and changes the way we live fully present in this life. That the way I work and the way I engage people in this life matters because I believe Jesus could come back at any moment. I'm not like the disciples in Acts chapter 2 caught, or Acts chapter 1 standing around just gazing up into heaven. I'm engaging in the work that God has given me to do, but I'm doing it with one eye towards the heavens, knowing that he could return at any moment. How would it change your life this week if every day you believed it could be the day that Jesus calls you home? What would you say to the people you love? How would you treat the stranger that you encounter. You see, I'm convinced if we believed with the realistic expectation that he could call us home any moment of any day, it would change every conversation, it would change every interaction, it would change every priority you have if you believed it. See, the guests, they were too busy to come. And so the father made an open invitation, verse 9 through 10. Go therefore... To the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all they found, both the good and the bad. You know that there are going to be bad people in heaven? Some of you are glad for that. You know that when you get to heaven, you're going to walk in and one of the things you're going to think is, I had no idea that person would make it. I cannot believe you are in heaven. And you know what? They're going to be thinking the same thing about you. You see, some people think that the way to get into heaven is to be good enough. The Bible is clear that there's no way to be good enough. The way to get into heaven is to be forgiven. And so the invitation is extended to the good and the bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But then there's this odd moment in this passage. Of what happens next. So the guests are all there. The good and the bad. The riffraff, the poor, the rich. Everybody's included. Everybody's been invited. And then there's this encounter with this fellow who comes who's not wearing the right wet kind of wedding clothes. Now how many of you have ever gone to a function and been dressed poorly for the fun like you get there and you think it's like a barbecue picnic and it's a formal cocktail event or something you know I don't when you you find yourself there it's like you're like I am way underdressed for this now how many of you had the dream you remember the dream is the school's about to start or a new job and you show up to work in your pajamas or less anybody ever had that dream there is wired into us this anxiety that we have that we're not going to be prepared for something I think that's what this is talking about. This, this fellow shows up and listen to what it says in verse 12. And the, the, the master, the, the, the king said to him, friend, how did you get in here without proper wedding garments? And he was speechless. And then look, listen to what John said in 1 John two twenty eight. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. 
See, this guy who showed up at the wedding feast wasn't competent. He was ashamed. He wasn't properly prepared. What does it mean to be properly dressed for the wedding feast? Well, if you look in the book of Revelation, it gives you some tips for how to dress for the wedding so that you're ready when the time comes. Let me read these to you. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. John is writing, the Holy Spirit speaking through John says, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Revelation 4, verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in what? White, and had crowns of gold on their heads. Revelation 19, verse 14. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. It appears to me like the preferred dress code is white in heaven, to wear white. Now, ladies, I know it's after Labor Day. But I don't think the same fashion rule applies in heaven. At least it doesn't according to the, what I've read here. My youngest daughter, Macy, was riding with uh, my, my, my wife in the car. And they were listening to something. And there was some, something on the radio that said something about wearing white after Labor Day. And so Macy turned to Sherry and she said, Mommy, what will happen if you wear white after Labor Day? Because I just did it yesterday. <laughs> she was thinking maybe the fashion police would come and arrest her. But what is this white garment all about, and how do we get it? I think you find the answer one verse earlier in chapter 19, verse 13. Listen to what Jesus is wearing. While everybody else is clothed in white, it says, He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, stained, torn. And his name is the Word of God. You see, in Galatians 3.13, we're told that Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. That he took the clothes that should have been ours, that would have made us unworthy, and gave us his robes of righteousness. I love the hymn that says, Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That the clothes that we wear are not our own clothes. You don't have anything in your closet good enough. But Jesus clothes us in his righteousness. Just like in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve realized they had sinned and recognized they were naked. It was God who clothed them. And it is God who clothes us and prepares us for his return. See, Jesus is coming. The question is, are we living in anticipation and an expectation of being ready? To be with him in perfect union forever. To be able to look upon him face to face. And know that all of our filthy rags have been removed. And that he's made a way for us. And that he is coming And his question is, are are you ready? Are you prepared? Have you accepted what it is Christ has done for you? From his love and his mercy and his grace. 
Or do you just keep avoiding the reality that this life will end one way or another? It will. And you don't know, and I don't know when that will happen. But you've seen it happen. You've heard the stories about other people. And what does that reality do inside of you? When you're alone and you think of thoughts of your mortality, what do you feel? Do you feel dread and anxiety? Are you worried? Or do you live with the hope and the expectation of what is to come? See, God wants you to be confident. He doesn't want you to face this wedding with, with concern. He wants you to anticipate it, to look forward to it. And for those of us who, who feel like we're ready, are we staying in a state of perpetual readiness? Do we allow the reality of heaven to change the way we treat people? See, when Jesus came and gave his life for us through the power of the resurrection, and as he sent the Holy Spirit back, I believe that you and I, because of the Holy Spirit in us, are the front lines of heaven's invasion into earth. That heaven is coming And our responsibility is to live with that knowledge, knowing that every conversation in which I engage, every activity in which I participate, is an opportunity for me to bring heaven closer to earth, to live with the readiness of knowing. Is that how you live? Do you live prepared? Do you live with the peace Of knowing that even though there may not be peace here, we can have peace because he's preparing a place there. That's what what God wants for you. And it doesn't happen because you're good enough. And it doesn't happen because you're religious enough. And it doesn't happen because you show up here enough. It happens because you understand the truth of what Christ has done for you. Will you pray with me? With every head bowed, I want to invite you to just think for a moment about about heaven. About what will life be like when your mortal body is no more. And if today you're saying, I'm not sure about that, I don't know about that, can I just let you know that it, in, in this instance, you can have the confidence of knowing that you're prepared because of what Jesus has done for you. Just simply confessing to him that you're not prepared, inviting him to clothe you in his righteousness, and then following him. And you can do that now. You can have that peace and confidence now. If you're here and you have had that confidence, but you're not living in the anticipation and expectation, you may find yourself going weeks, months, maybe even years, and you only think about heaven when we talk about it here occasionally. What difference would it make in your life this week if you lived with the anticipation and expectation that it could be any moment? Father, we come before you today and we just invite you by the power of your Holy Spirit 
to move in our hearts to ready us for heaven. For those who are here, who are still trying to find stained, torn, blood-soaked garments to wear, I pray that today they'd exchange their garments for your righteousness. Father, for those of us who were personally prepared, would you help us to remain engaged in the ministry and the mission to which you've called us in this place that we might share with others that they are also invited. Regardless of how good or bad they are or where they come from, the invitation has been extended to all and you've asked us to extend it. Lord, may we live with the urgency of knowing that the banquet could begin at any moment. Father, I thank you for those who are here today who have lived their lives that way. And they live with the anticipation. Thank you for the fact that by their presence and, and your spirit in them, they usher heaven closer and closer to earth. Father, may that define us as a congregation. May that define us as a church so that even those who are far from heaven would come in here and say there's something about that place that feels better than the rest of the world. Lord, may we be, may we be your front line of heaven on earth. Move and stir in the hearts of your people, even as we respond to your invitation. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.